Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Saturday afternoon edition of Gym Class All-Stars. Alex and I are here to give you the rundown of all things sports from this past week. And I'm going to start by letting you all know that Big Ten football is officially back. Started up last night, got a full slate of games today, including my Iowa Hawkeyes traveling to Purdue to face the Boilermakers. Go uh, Boilermakers. Purdue is not the prettiest place in the world. So I, I hope we go in there and get out real quick. Nice, easy dub. But uh, shout out to all those guys. Football, College football now back in full swing with all of the big teams back in play. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Forget about the Pac-12 here. They're not back yet. Sorry, isn't that just half the side of, fo- of the football? Dude, Pac-12 is electric. I don't care what you say. That's running gun West Coast offense, and that's the best. You're not wrong. It's at least the most exciting. So we're almost there, almost back. We're getting there, on the right track. Um, but we are going to move into some of the other sports here. We're going to start on with some NBA news. Still still swinging a shorter offseason this year, so there's going to be a lot happening in a short period of time. And we're going to start with the Brooklyn Nets adding Amari Stoudemire as one of their assistant coaches. That reunites him and former Suns teammate Steve Nash. Uh, as the new two top coaches in Brooklyn. What do these two bring to the table for a superstar duo like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant? Well, they were a tandem. They bring at the very least experience and game sense. Nash and Stoudemire ran a pretty consistent pick and roll game and Nash was very good at finding him. It's a little different because KD is a wing player rather than a, a pure power forward or center. But I, I like it. I think it's worthwhile. I think Stoudemire potentially has good discipline, at least for the young core that they have. Yeah, no, I mean, I like the idea of them two together having been a duo before Kyrie and Durant have never played together. So maybe Nash and Stoudemire can kind of teach them good ways to, they don't have to necessarily be best friends, but they do have to be the top two teammates on the court. They have to be able to play, like you said, in tandem. So that's re- I think that's really important, and I think that's something awesome that the two of them are going to be able to bring to the table for that team. Um, regardless of the Amari Stoudemire signing, though, where do you see this Nets team going this year? Is there is this a championship-run type team? It's definitely a playoff-run team, but I think they're going to – I think they'll get to the second round, and some turmoil is going to happen, and we're going to see – I don't – I don't definitely don't think there will be a sweep. Like, having KD on a team usually will prevent a sweep. And I don't, actually, I don't even know if he's been swept in the playoffs of ever. I don't think so. But I'm curious, and I talk about it every week, I want to see what Kyrie does. I want to see if he becomes either the leader he's been talking about being for years or if he meshes well with them or if it's just another circus. And my inkling of intuition is saying it's going to be a circus again. I think KD will help guide that ship, but I really do think it's going to be a shit show. Yeah, I mean, Kyrie seems to get to a team, make a little mess, and just kind of walk out of the building. Hopefully that doesn't happen here this time, at least for their sakes. But, uh, yeah, no, it's going to be really interesting. Kyrie, I mean, they wanted to play together. They made it very clear last offseason that they were going to Brooklyn to play with each other. We'll see what happens with the rest of the roster, any moves or whatnot. But they're looking scary if they can stay healthy. That's the big one for me. And there's some injury-prone players, but... We'll see how it goes in Brooklyn. You know, Amari and Nash, they're a good, they were a good playing duo. We'll see how they do as a coaching duo. Um, moving on. So uh, we talked a lot in the last few weeks about what piece the, the Boston Celtics might end up moving this offseason. Um, and the name that's been popping up more and more recently has been Gordon Hayward. Specifically, the Indiana Pacers are very interested in making a move at Gordon Hayward. What does that type of player add 
to a Pacers team that's now been swept the last two times in the first round of the playoffs. Well, we lost Bogdanovich last season, who is a very consistent and important shooter and wing player to their team. And Hayward brings that. I think he's a little bit less of a shooter than Bogdanovich, but he has the capabilities to make threes. It's kind of what he does, at least on the Celtics team. I, I don't know, though, because they want to get Oladipo wants out. They have a new coach. They're sort of stuck in this perpetual cycle of good but not great. And I, I don't know if this will be a year. I think they need some sort of prospect to pan out. Uh, they have Malcolm Brogdon. You know, they don't necessarily – Oladipo is a really great player, but I don't know if they necessarily need him because they have someone like Brogdon. But bringing someone in Hayward, I think, inherently makes their team better. Is it playoff and championship caliber? No, but they have a lot of the right pieces. Like they just need more depth, and I think they may need a superstar type player. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we'll ever see you know the star that we saw in Utah with Gordon Hayward, but he can definitely bring be a presence on the court. You know, he's been to the playoffs. He's made big shots in his career. At the very least, he's a nice fill-in piece until they can maybe find what they're looking for or move Oladipo for something bigger, whatever they end up doing. Um, but I, I like the idea of Hayward on the Pacers. One year of him sounds pretty good, a little over you know, over expensive, but I don't know if Indiana is going to truly be competing for a title this year anyway. So could be, could be a really interesting thing, especially for Hayward, who's still just trying to get back in the swing of things from these past injuries that he's had. Um, speaking of all of this, the season. So the NBA has kind of come out with a tentative date as of right now for the start of the 2021 season. It would be on December 22nd, a little bit before Christmas. So ideally we would get some Christmas day basketball and they're debating on a 70 to 72 game season right now. So 10 to 12 games shorter than we're used to seeing who does the short off season and the shorter season benefit most in the NBA right now. The fans. Yeah. (laughs) It, it will benefit the fans in the Olympics mainly because the reason they want to do a 72-game season is so players will get the chance to rest before going to the Olympics because I imagine a lot of the USA superstars will compete for the national team. Mm-hmm. And the NBA as a whole is 25% foreign players. So you got a bunch of people from different countries who are going to be competing in the Olympics for their respective country because they are the best player from said country. It. I, I like it personally because you just get less offseason. You get more drama in that offseason because the NBA always is filled with a lot of good storylines. Move right into the next season. But I'm concerned from a player perspective where, you know, they just – a lot of, like, the Heat or the Lakers, they came off a very short offseason. Like, how are they going to perform? And, you know, granted, I'm not a, necessarily the biggest fan of either team. You know, my Sixers got a good amount of rest for once. But – that is problematic and it could lead to a lot of injuries. Not saying like out for season stuff, but a lot more load management. Yeah. I was about to say, I've been kind of shitting on a load, the idea of load management these last couple episodes, but it might play a huge part in this upcoming season, especially for a team like the Lakers that has LeBron might need to rest a few days. The heat that just, they played a long playoffs. Like they were there three plus months. That's a long time. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I I see. I think a player that is going to really negatively impact is someone like Giannis because he now does not have a full offseason to continue developing his game. He can still continue to develop, get stronger, all that kind of stuff, but it's just less time. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're going to be back in games and it's how much have you truly improved in this like month and a half, two month period that you've now been out for. So 
it's, it, that, that to me is just like a really interesting topic that's going to come up, I think, constantly throughout the course of the whenever the season does start. I mean, analysts love to pick on people for not doing enough in the offseason. Like Ben Simmons is a great example of it back uh, any of the offseasons, quite frankly, because he's always had issues with his shooting. But even like shooting aside, like someone like Giannis, there is not much he can work on this offseason. And I mean that in the sense that he coaches, let's say Giannis becomes like Steph Curry. He just starts ripping off threes. Coaches are going to adapt. Mm-hmm. Unless you are a terrible coach, which, you know, there are people who are like that. There are a few. They're going to adapt and be like, okay, he shoots threes now. It only shoots threes. Let's converge on him. Let's double team. And maybe he goes away from that and starts driving and only going back to doing layups and dunks. Okay. Zone, soften it up, make him kick out, stuff like that. So there are adjustments that can be made. I mean, Giannis is a very impactful player. I'm not disregarding anything he's done, but making adjustments on the fly is part of why coaches are elite or just good. I agree completely. Speaking of coaches, um, a coach, new coach named in the NBA, the Pelicans officially named Stan Van Gundy, their head coach talked a little bit about this last week. Um, but that, that player development style that he kind of has for a young team, Ingram, Lonzo, Zion, who's the player that on this Pelicans team that you think is going to most benefit from uh, Van Gundy? I think Lonzo, because I think Brandon Ingram has developed to the point where he doesn't have to put much effort into him. Cause I think Brandon Ingram will still put up like 22 plus and be a good wing player, be important in crunch time. Zion, I think given the time to stay healthy will be useful. And I think Zion knows Zion to me is a really good team player. He knows his role. He wants to win doesn't really give a shit about his flashy dunks. I mean, those are all obviously great things. We love him for it. But to me, Lonzo Ball is the one player that if they can get him moving and him efficient, that could be a sleeper team in the West, like an eight seed. I'm not saying they'll make the playoffs. It's That's a very tough conference anyway. But Lonzo could be that key piece. And they're young enough where if you can keep that core together and keep developing them, that's a scary team. Oh, Yeah. They have the athleticism alone from those three players. Then you add in like a Josh Hart, a Jackson Hayes, some of their other just athletic bench players. A JJ Redick. Really good stuff. JJ, hey man, JJ Redick gives the Sixers a lot of shit for not re-signing him. And I agree because that man. I agree. That's the, this is the first time in his entire career, I believe, he missed the playoffs except for maybe his rookie season. Um, no, he, he, that was the only time. Only time. Was, was it the yeah. only time? See, that, yeah. that's, that's a piece you don't necessarily want to get rid of. And if the Pelicans can make that jump to the point of we're contending for a playoff spot, J.J. Reddick could be a piece that sends you over the top and gets you into the playoffs. So I, I love that, that take. Yeah, thank you for naming J.J. Reddick in there. <laughs> so, yeah, no, Pelicans, uh, new, look, new look now. Sam Van Gundy is, has fully taken over. We'll see if Jeff Van Gundy does, in fact, land the Houston job. Uh, more on that as it comes out. Um, and so we've been talking a little bit about this NBA offseason. The draft scheduled for November 18th. It'll be a virtual draft. Um, and there's a lot of talk about who the number one overall pick is going to be. And there's talk about who is even going to be taking the number one overall pick. Um, I've been hearing a lot about the Timberwolves considering trading down. Um, an article I read recently said that uh, the guy they're eyeing is Obi Topin. Obi is uh, the forward out of Dayton. National player of the year. He's projected to go in the top five, I believe, definitely top 10, but he's not necessarily the consensus number one overall. So my thought becomes 
what would they trade down for? If they were to trade down, what would they need to get if Obi Topin is the guy that they're planning on trading down for? You would okay. The Timberwolves would trade the number one pick, and I think what they should do is they should select whoever they're trading with. They should probably select Anthony Edwards because I imagine teams would want him. That's like and that's saying he he couldn't be your number one. Fine, whatever. But I think he would be the consensus player. A lot of teams would want number one slot. So you trade the number one pick. I think you pick Anthony Edwards and do a draft day trade. You would move. You would get the pick that you trade up for. That's kind of a given. You could do kind of what the Mavs and Hawks did, where you get a conditional first round pick the following year. Because a lot of those teams in the lottery, I don't imagine are going to take massive leaps in the playoffs other than the Warriors. Mm-hmm. That's only a, a swap of one, two. Right. You if you didn't want to pick for next year, you could maybe swap a player. But that one that gets iffy because you need someone of moderate caliber. Yeah, so that's a good those, thing to transition to. What would be the player? they would need if they were going to do a pick for a player? Uh, the only one I can think of – well, okay, so the Timberwolves, they have D'Lo, which I think the point guard position is filled. For now, they have Cat, who that's – I think you can talk about all his negatives, but that's a good center. Obi Topin would be a forward. So you're left with shooting guard and small forward. Honestly, if you want something dangerous – and maybe the Pistons want to move, you take Blake Griffin. That's okay. a massive contract to take on. But I think if Blake Griffin's healthy, that really puts your team in a win-now mentality that doesn't fit any of the timetables, but it's something. Yeah, well, so Blake Griffin is a player who could bring some physicality. I mean, I think the biggest knock on this Timberwolves team is how soft they are. I mean, Cat specifically just doesn't seem to play, like like enjoy playing defense bringing some dude who could just come in and be like, yo, I'm going to toughen you up a little bit. Could be cool. That could be Blake Griffin. You know, it's not really going to be James Johnson because I don't know what NBA superstar would listen to what James Johnson has to say, but someone like Blake Griffin has some respect. He's been to all-star games. He's been in, in some mediocre, uh, moderately deep playoff runs. You know, he's, he's been there before. Here's another thought. Cause the Pistons are the team that comes to mind. Cause I think they have legitimate tangible assets and players. A thought would be you trade the first for what the seventh, yeah, seven or eight, I think. You tra- you sw- swap picks, get, you know, when Timberwolves get Obi Topin, I think the Timberwolves, or sorry, the Pistons would get Anthony Edwards. The Timberwolves would also get Luke Kennard, who I think is a legitimate, viable three-point option and has the potential of being a reasonably good, at least a role player, if not a starting caliber shooting guard. And then maybe throw a pick swap in there, maybe throw another player in there. What's his name? Uh, Christian something? on the Pistons he's developing oh he's Christian really, Wood I think he I think he's a free agent though me okay maybe you resign him for the hopes of trading him I I don't know sure. wouldn't he have a f- restricted though if he's so young I believe he's restricted but from what I I have understood he's going to be getting more than the restricted he's going to be offered from teams more than the restricted yeah. would allow him to get Got so it. so that that's a that's a thought process there you get your oh, two okay. pieces you get you get your forward and you get a pick no, yeah, I think that could be a pretty decent haul, um, especially if you're unable to convince maybe the Clippers to give you Paul George or a superstar of that caliber. I would, if I was a Clippers fan, I'd probably want to jump out a window if I saw Paul George being traded for Obi Topin. <laughs> hey, man, crazy things go on in the world of sports. That's, that's a rough one to be like, eh. 
<laughs> even if you're like Paul George is an absolute bomb, I would have a hard time being like, yeah, Paul George for Obi Topin. That's good. That's a tough sell. <laughs> anyway, we will see what Minnesota does end up doing with this pick, whether they trade it, take it, uh, or whatnot. Real quick, though, I we were talking about sleeper picks last year, or sorry, last mm-hmm. episode. I think another one is the kid out of Israel. The was named Denny Avdija, the forward. Avdija, Abdiha, something along those lines. That, you know, I know people are on the fence about foreign players, and I get that. But to me, he's kind of like Doncic in the sense he's been playing pro basketball for a while. He's playing in Israel. It's not like a bum league necessarily. Mm-hmm. He's six foot nine. He's a small forward. You can handle you know, the ball. That's that's Doncic caliber kind of looking like it. And I'm I kind of like it. Height wise is a little bigger than Luca, but they're pretty close in height. And offensively, he is not as skilled as Luca, but he looks close to what Luca looked like when Luca was playing in the Euro leagues. He's a flat out scorer, offensive initiator. That's helpful. You got, you got to teach him how to play defense at the NBA level. That'll be huge. He might get stuck in between being a modern three or four, but I agree. I think he could be a player that maybe falls a little bit, but then that team that gets him, if he gets put in the right role as just a scorer, I think he could have a very successful career. All right. So, going to transition on out of the NBA here. We got World Series baseball going on right now. The Dodgers have taken a two games to one lead over the Tampa Bay Rays after I believe it was a six to two victory. Uh, Walker Bueller had 10 strikeouts in that game. Um, so, you're down 2 1 right now as the Rays. What's the main concern so far uh, for them right now? Well, last night it was pitching. They got out dueled. I mean, Walker Bueller had a Phenomenal outing, but their starting pitcher gave up five runs before he got pulled, and it was less than five innings. That, unfortunately, is not going to win you games against the Dodgers, who have such a – while they are really great offensively, they do have a really awesome core defensively and can do a lot. It's tough. I think the the Rays are going to have to rattle off a string of not lucky victories, but really they, everything's got to go right for them. The Dodgers have all this star power. And I see their lineup. I'm like, I can baseball isn't the sport I follow closely, but I could I see all of their players and I recognize who they are, just that name recognition. And they have a great pitching core. Like there's just they're stacked. And for the Rays, they're one of the cheapest teams in the league in terms of payroll. Like that's it doesn't look good, unfortunately. But it's game by game have consistent pitching and they will be in games and just have the bats go a little bit. Yeah. I think a big thing uh, we had mentioned this, a you know, brief time in one of a previous episode, they score a lot of their runs off of solo home runs. They need to start getting on base. They need to start having multiple base runners per inning. They need to start getting some of those guys home when the ball isn't hit out of the yard. That's ex- like the Dodgers can do everything on offense. The only counter to that is you also have to be able to do everything. It's like, it's hard to say that like the critique is you just need to be better, but they just need to be a little bit better. They're in the world series. There are no excuses anymore. They need to score runs quick. Yes. Yes. The Dodgers can go six innings without scoring and still put up six runs that game, which is the crazy part. Another, another cool thing to bring up here. Uh, if you follow steal a base and the taco deal that comes with it in the world series, Mookie Betts stole two tacos for America. Hope, hope, and hope for more. Uh, Mookie stealing base is one of the fastest players in the league. Fun times for everybody when we're stealing tacos. So <laughs> love that. Um, but the world series, 
looking pretty competitive so far. The Dodgers obviously look like the superior team, but who knows, man? I mean, the Rays, Rays have some fight in them. They made it all the way here. One seed in the, the AL most of the season. They are not a team to be trifled with just because, you know, that name recognition isn't cool. So we will see it up. I believe game four is tonight. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. And we'll obviously report back on that next week as we will probably have a world series champion by that point. Um, I think we will. Yeah. All right. Ah, any, any prediction for the final series score of that? I think it's going to be four, one Dodgers. Four, one Dodgers. That's pessimistic. The Rays just seem to lose four, one world series. <laughs> hey, you know, that's as a, as a Phillies fan, I'm pretty fine with that. So yeah. We'll see how they do. And, get Kershaw's uh, ring. I, I want to see it. Get Kershaw's ring. That could be a, a huge plus for a Hall of Fame career already. So moving on into the NFL, we're going to start with a little recap of some of last week's and the uh, games and the, the Thursday night game this week. I am not going to start with Steelers-Browns. I'm going to say that to the end because I have a little rant about the Cleveland Browns. So we're going to start with the Denver Broncos upsetting the New England Patriots 18 to 12. Um, this game had already been delayed once because of COVID reasons and almost got delayed a second time. Um, but the, the Bron- they, they played the Broncos defense was spectacular, but Cam Newton was not, he was subpar in this game uh, early in the season. We were talking very highly about Cam. Where has kind of the, the trail off happened with him? I mean, you got COVID, so that's a good start. But I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to count out Cam and the Patriots yet. That's always a mistake everyone makes. Give him a little bit of a run. I want to see how he does. He had a probably a short week. You know, he was getting over COVID, all that. I am curious to see how they bounce back. They're playing the 49ers this week at home. So my intuition is they're going to kill the 49ers because Bill Belichick is – as spiteful as anyone can be. And I think, I think Cam Newton is wired a bit differently than when he's in Carolina. So I think he's really got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. So this is the perfect time for him to really play into that. No, I agree. Um, but on the, on the Broncos side of things, some injuries, despite the victory, no Noah Fant, no Melvin Gordon and Drew Locke was playing his first game since I think week two or three, but they still came out. Drew Locke didn't have necessarily the best game, but they got the job done points were scored Philip Lindsay his first game back since week one had 100 plus rushing yards without Melvin Gordon in the lineup so some of the pieces are there for Denver they're in a tough division obviously but you know we'll see at the end of that you know the end of those playoff teams the five six and seven seed now um, we'll see if they can slip in there if, if they're going to play game t- like tough matchups that close they're going to put themselves in a good position Moving down the list, a, de- a game that started out a little slower, but then turned out into a straight-up shootout. I believe the final score was 42-36, to 36, uh, Tennessee and Houston. Derrick Henry had an absolute monster performance that included a 98-yard touchdown run. Uh, Houston, sitting with one win right now. They were, you know, Sean Watson, star quarterback, but the offense isn't clicking as much, and we, we know about their woes on defense. Like I said, just one win through six weeks so far. What – has to has to happen for them in order to make some kind of playoff run they're not i told you this last week or it was the vikings they're they they will not make the playoffs but what i will say is they look a lot better getting rid of bill o'brien was a good call yes they have romeo cornell now as their interim coach they beat the vikings which unfortunately doesn't say much anymore but then on top of that they played the titans who were probably one of the best teams in the league they played them very well and they lost 
in overtime. To a very good team. And I don't know. You can – I watched the end of the game. People were giving Romeo Cornell shit for going for two to make it a nine-point game instead of a seven-point – or a seven-eight-point game. I would have done that because you have the Titans who were unstoppable the entire day. Why not try and put the game away? The only thing kicking an f- extra point would do would be like, okay, they got to go for two, which if they were able to march down the field like they did, I'm for sure certain they would have went for two and made it. So yeah. it's things like that. And they lost the coin toss and Derrick Henry just decided to go all the way down the field on his own. Yep. You could visibly see how upset Deshaun Watson was that he wasn't going to get the first chance to win that game. Putting the hands, uh, putting the game in the hands of the Houston Texans defense often does not go well for the Houston Texans. When you get a man child like Derek Henry, there's not many defenses that can do a whole lot. <laughs> there's so. not much you can do against that man. All right, so moving on to the next game. You know, I've touched on this one quickly because we're going to talk about the Eagles again in a little bit with their Thursday night game, but they played Baltimore, you know, about as close as anybody could have predicted the Eagles were going to play Baltimore. But unfortunately for them, Lamar Jackson had kind of a bounce back game of sorts, had a big touchdown run down the middle which seems to be an issue for the Eagles this season, letting up touchdowns down the middle. But were, were there some things to feel good about having played that team as close as you did? Well, personally, it felt great to say the Eagles would cover that spread, and they did. So if you faded me, I hate you. If you didn't, well, <laughs> all right, well, I guess we're friends. But it was surprising because I did honestly, when it was, it was a 16-point game, I turned off the TV. I started watching – I forget what the other game was in my local area, but I started watching the Texans and Titans as well, which was a much better game. Texans Titans ends. I see the score is 30, 22 and I see the Eagles have the ball and you could be like, Alex, not true Eagles fan, but I'm like, no, listen, with six minutes left with that Eagles team against the Ravens, there's a reason I turned it off. The Eagles man to their credit, marched down the field scored and were a two point conversion away from tying it. I don't know how overtime would have went. Honestly, Lamar Jackson could have marched down the field and gotten a field goal in that time too. But there's a lot of positives. Their defense looks better. At least we'll, we'll get to the Thursday night game parallel. But their defense is serviceable. Their offense has their moments. The issue was a lot of people got hurt. That's not good. So now moving into the Thursday night game, which happened two days ago. That was awful. I was ready <laughs> to just – a pound a hole in the floor. I am so upset watching the Eagles. And it, it is like a, it's a horrible relationship to have because they just get my hopes up and crush them and get my hopes up. It's this horrible roller coaster. And Thursday night was no different. I'm so happy they won, but like, oh my goodness, they, their offense looked like garbage. Their defense, not to say their defense played excellent, but their defense was okay. But I also think the Giants offense sucks. So right so, now they're first in the division. They're two, four, and one. True. Honestly, I think they're going to win the division at six, nine, one. So I'll take that. What's worth yeah, I mean, the, the, the nice thing for all of these teams competing for this one guaranteed playoff spot is the fact that they get to play each other so many times. Yep. It's going to be very hard for a team in this division to win multiple games outside of this division. It is, as we all know, the worst division in football. But the Eagles do at this point seem to be the strongest, especially now with uh, Dak Prescott out. I don't know if we had mentioned that last week, but he will not be playing the rest of the year with a broken ankle. 
if the Eagles offense can get healthy and, you know, work, they get it back together. You know, Fulgrim looks like he's a good piece. If Ertz can get healthy, Goddard can get healthy. The tight end, that, that awesome tight end duo would be back. The defense has not been the whole problem. Up the middle has been the problem on the defensive side, but running the ball, the Eagles have a pretty, pretty good rush defense. Not the best, but you know, I got some big guys inside. It's not absurd to think that this Eagles team could even win a playoff game because they're the team with the most experience in that division at this point. But yeah, I mean, they, you know, health is a main concern, especially for this Eagles team in that front, you know, that offensive line. If that, you know, works in their favor, though, I will not be surprised if a six win Eagles team wins a playoff game. So, you know, you know, if the Eagles were to go like six, nine, one, and then win the Super Bowl, it, they'd probably have the worst record for a Super Bowl winning team of all time. That'd be crazy. They would have to win the Super Bowl to have a winning record. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> and honestly, I think the team with the worst would be the Giants when they won back in like 08. They I were like 9-7 so, yeah. and they went, you know, that would be 13. Yeah, I mean, there's only two six seeds to ever win a Super Bowl. One of those Giants teams did it. And then um, I believe the Steelers team that beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl in what was it, 2004? Five? You guys were a six seed. The Raiders were the one I can think of. They were at least the first the Raiders, wild cards. Right. So it has happened before, maybe not with six, a six-win team, but we'll see how it goes. As of right now, at 2-4-1, Philadelphia holds sole possession of the lead in the NFC East, heading into the rest of the Week 7 matchups. Uh, moving down some of these other Week 6 recap games, though, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers in what was supposed to be a very high-profile match turned into a blowout by mostly the run game of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ronald Jones now with, with no Leonard Fournette in the lineup has taken over. He had another two touchdown performance, another plus hundred yard game. Tom Brady doesn't even have to do a whole lot. I mean, Chris Godwin only gave me nine points in my fantasy team because he didn't have to get have to catch many balls. Um, this Bucks team looks good, man. Yeah, I was surprised about how bad the Packers looked more or less. I yeah. also didn't count Aaron Rodgers throwing two picks. So that's on me. Yeah, the Bucks look scary. That's kind of what I expected to see from them earlier and haven't seen them. I guess the Bears are better than we thought as well, too, but that's a story for another day. But going off of that, they also signed A.B., so like, just let's just add to that. After Bruce Arians was like, no, nope, he's not a good fit, we're not going to sign him, which I think was legitimate at the time, but here we are now. Here we are. Uh, yeah, no, we can we can actually touch on that real quick. Antonio Brown is now the third Pro Bowl receiver to be added to this Buccaneers offense. Joins Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. That's horrifying when you surround them with a veteran quarterback like Tom Brady, who maybe isn't the gunslinger he used to be, but he can hit an open target. And that's three guys that excel at be, at, at beating their their matchups. And then you throw in, you know. OJ Howard's out, but you still have Gronk, who Brady loves. You still have Ronald Jones, and when he comes back, Leonard Fournette is a fantastic backup running back. That, that's a scary offense with a defense that's holding their own so far. I mean, they held one of the highest scoring offenses in football to 10 points. They intercepted Aaron Rodgers twice. That doesn't happen often. Is, is there a real chance of a Super Bowl run for Brady in Tampa? No. And you know why? <laughs> why? Because every the only few times Tom Brady's had elite receivers – I'm talking about when they went undefeated with it was Dante Stallworth, it was Wes Walker, and it was Randy Moss. Mm-hmm. Three high profile receivers. That was when they had their record setting year, all that. What did that end with? A loss to the Giants that we just A talked dud. about, actually. For some unknown reason, Brady needs unknown receivers to win. <laughs> now, that's the narrative I have right now that could definitely change this year. Is this team looks scary? He's got a different coach, all that, but 
I'm going to hold that narrative true right now. So I'm going to say they're not going to win the Super Bowl. All right. I, but they're, I respect they're scary. That I would love somehow to prove that Tom Brady was a system quarterback, but it seems like he was the system the Patriots needed at the moment. Um, yeah, not a system. <laughs> moving down the list, Kansas City Buffalo was an undefeated versus a uh, one loss team going in, and Kansas City took control, never really looked back. Their offense, now especially Le'Veon Bell, should be active for this upcoming matchup that they have. Uh, this is a team that we've always, you know, all year been talking about our Super Bowl contenders to repeat. How do you beat Kansas City, especially when it like, you know, you know, their defense is their weak point, but outscoring them is difficult. You got to you got to have a competitive offense. This I'm going off the Raiders win uh, last week. You got to have a competitive offense. And then top of that, you got to have like a defensive player, too. You got to keep pace with them and one be able to keep that lead, which is easier said than done. But then you also have to make a few like like an interception or a pick six that definitely helps. It's rare for Patty Mahomes to make a mistake, but it does happen. So you, you got to be able to just control the clock as well and make the chiefs make a few mistakes and then kind of just hold out. Yeah, no, I, I agree with the idea of uh, capitalizing on opportunity. Patty Mahomes doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but if he does, you need to be ready to like move on it. Like if he throws a bad pass, that's not a tip that has to be an interception. Stuff like that is key to beating this high, high powered offense that Kansas city has led by someone who no question will be up for MVP this season. Absolutely. Uh, another game just to, just to mention quickly, like I said a little earlier, Dak Prescott is out for the year for the Dallas Cowboys who are probably the second favorite team to maybe come out and win that division. Um, but now Andy Dalton's at the helm and it's well as, as a Steelers fan who got to play Andy Dalton two times a year for the last seven plus years, he sucks. He's not a good quarterback. He makes bad throws. He's not mobile. He's one of the better backup quarterbacks in football. I'll say that yeah. like as an option to fill in for the rest of the year, Andy Dalton is definitely someone you feel confident in, but there is, in my opinion, no chance the Dallas Cowboys win this division behind him. Yeah, when I made that prediction that said the Cowboys were in the NFC East, it was under the impression they had Dak Prescott. Mm-hmm. And that, that unfortunately went poof. But, yeah, between Andy Dalton's inefficiencies, there's a lot of drama going on in the Cowboys organization between Mike McCarthy and not being prepared. Their defense still sucks. I don't, I'm, it's appalling how they spend so much money have such a terrible defense but i'm happy because that benefits oh, yeah. me but my gripe is i i have this worry every year the cowboys do this where they start off just terrible like last year they lost to the titans before the titans were good on like monday night football and everyone's like cowboys are done will kane who biggest cowboys fan besides skip bayless is like they're done season's over and then they just went on this kind of run where they just looked hot they looked electric they're like, Cowboys are back. They're winning division. Now, the Eagles had the good graces to put everyone out of their misery by <laughs> stomping on them. But that's what I'm worried about, where the Cowboys, for some unknown reason, just play unbelievably better when everyone's like, you suck. And they're like, maybe we do, but we're going to win. So, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I do think the Cowboys have no shadow in division, but I'm curious to see the next coming weeks for them. Yeah, no, I mean, we'll see. Andy Dalton has been to the playoffs, has never won a game there, but he has at least been there. So, like I said, as far as backup quarterbacks go, he's one of the better options. So, we'll see how their season pans out. But as a cow, if you were a Cowboys fan, 
I wouldn't expect a whole lot out of this year. Maybe try and tank for one of these picks. Sign um, Andy Dolan <laughs> to the max extension. Oh, not big, Dak Prescott. Big moves right there. Um, so one more game I want to, want to, <laughs> as briefly as I can touch upon was Steelers versus the Browns. This was not a close matchup. The reason I want to talk about this, I'm not even going to talk about how great the Steelers played. I want to talk about the Cleveland Browns because this, this is a pet peeve of mine. Every single goddamn year, some jabroni comes up to me and starts telling me about how the Cleveland Browns added so many nice pieces. They're going to make a run at the division. They might even make a goddamn Super Bowl run. I hear this shit all of the time. And let me tell you, this is not a rant about how I think that the Cleveland Browns are the worst run sports organization in history. This is why I don't, this is a rant about how I don't believe the Cleveland Browns are a real football team. They don't make the playoffs. The last time they won their division was before Ben Roethlisberger was in the goddamn league. They don't seem to show up to any games they actually play. And every time they add a new great player, he does nothing for them. Odell Beckham went from a top three receiver in football with the Giants to a, like, he's not even the best receiver on his team anymore. Jarvis Landry's putting up better stats. It, 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 it bothers me so much that everybody loves this Cleveland Browns team because of how bad they are, but they don't ever actually process how bad they are. I mean, 38 to seven to a relatively offensively inept team, like, come on, like Pittsburgh's offense is good, but it is not 38 to seven good against a four and one football team. That was the fakest four and one record I have ever seen. This rant is just about to end, but Jesus Christ, guys, please do not keep jumping on this Cleveland Browns bandwagon. They will not win a Super Bowl. They will never win a Super Bowl. They are not a well-run sports organization. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. That's garbage, all of it. (laughs) I would just like to say... The Steelers, for some incredible reason, have the Browns number. And I think Ben Roethlisberger has never lost to the Browns at home in his career, which is insane. So the Browns losing to the Steelers, I expected that, honestly. I think the Steelers are offensively competent and their defense is phenomenal. And I think Baker Mayfield, we, we saw what Baker Mayfield is actually like to a degree when he's playing good defense where he got exposed. The Browns' defense, though, is still is scary. And I get how you're going to say, okay, they let the Steelers put up 38 points. But when you're on the field for a long amount of time, when your offense is doing fuck all, yeah, that's going to happen, unfortunately. No matter how good your defense is, if you're start, if they're starting at the four, they're at the Steelers, Steelers are starting throwing 40, and they have to go like 30 yards, like, yeah, you're going to give up touchdowns, and it happens. But What's important to say is, yeah, the Steelers are for real. They're legit. It's going to come down to can they beat the Ravens for the division? Yep. And that we're going to see their matchups. And I don't yeah, know. They were supposed to play Baltimore this week. Uh, it got moved to next week just because of rescheduling based on COVID. Uh, but those two games are going to be absolutely massive for those two teams because if one of those, guys, uh, those teams wins both games, I think we can guarantee that they're going to be winning the division. Uh, Cleveland, on the other hand, I'll just ask this because I will say no. Is there a shot the Cleveland Browns make the playoffs this year? Mm, that's a, a legitimate shot. Because Obviously, there's the statistical shot. Well, let's think about this in terms of the teams. The Chiefs will make the playoffs. This is my own picks, but the Chiefs will make the playoffs. They're going to win the West. The Steelers and then the Ravens will make the playoffs. So there's one of those is going to be a wild card. One that's going to the division. You can fight about that. We'll say the Steelers just so I don't make you upset. Woo-hoo. The Titans are going to win their division. That's four. 
And then the East is probably going to be the Bills. That's yeah. my inkling of a feeling. So right now you're at two more spots. You have two more spots for wild card teams. I think you could give maybe a nod to the Raiders. That's a potent. That's a potential sleeper. We'll need to see see a John Gruen if he doesn't mess it up. Right. But then that last spot, I don't think you're going to give it to the Colts. I don't think you're going to give it to the Patriots unless the Patriots just start rattling off wins. I think it's between the Browns and the Patriots of those teams though. Interesting. Okay. I mean, yeah, right now it's looking like there's a kind of mess that would allow Cleveland a legitimate shot. I think new England is going to come out and take one of those wild card seeds. Okay. I would ideally like to say the Colts would make it over the Browns. The Colts defense is kind of hit or miss, but they've been pretty good so far this year. But Their the Browns offense, beat the Colts. The Browns did beat the Colts. That's the issue is Phillip Rivers is like, do I really think you can lead a team to the playoffs? And the answer is probably no. But it's also, do I think Baker Mayfield can, can do? I think Baker Mayfield can do it. And I, I also think no. So we'll see. Maybe we accidentally see some other team slip in. Who knows? But I don't know. The idea of the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs, just like it doesn't compute in my head. It, I've never it, seen it. But they are four and two. They are they in have fact the four wins. And two. They have the wins to start it off. They just got to keep going. This is true. They have one more game each, uh, respectively, against the Steelers and the Ravens. So one a win against at least one of those teams would go a very long way for them. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. It'd be interesting if three teams from the same division end up making the playoffs. It, it, potentially even four teams. I don't think the Bengals have any playoff aspirations this year, but no. who knows? We'll, we'll count them out. We're moving on. Exactly. But uh, yeah, no, very important race to keep on notice. Though That seventh seed is going to come up huge, I believe. So we'll keep you posted, but you now know how I feel about the Cleveland Browns. Uh, a couple other Uh, News updates in the NFL, as we uh, previously mentioned, Antonio Brown is now a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. Uh, Another high-profile receiver, Des Bryant, if all his health issues are cleared, will be signed to the Baltimore Ravens practice squad. If he's able to stay healthy and um, get onto the active roster, what kind of impact do you think he'd make for that team? I don't know. Something tells me there's a reason he hasn't been signed. I know he got signed to the Saints and he tore his ACL or Achilles immediately, but something tells me there's a reason like he hasn't been in the league for a bit. And I think it's health related. So I think yeah. he's got problems staying healthy, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. Someone like him, and uh, you may not love to hear this, but someone like Alshon Jeffrey, I'm worried won't actually ever step on a football field again. These injuries, they don't practice fully. You know, they, they get hurt very easily. Stuff like that just scares me when it, especially when it comes to a, a taller, older receiver that maybe can't move as quick. You know, he's got the hands still, but other than that, what can you really bring to the table becomes the issue. Um, but we'll see. You know, Des Bryant was, of, of course, a, an extremely incredible asset to have previously in his career. So if he is able to get healthy, that could be a tipping point for Baltimore. We'll see. Um, and then one other roster move that got made, a kind of of sparked some controversy down in Miami the Fitz magic has been benched and Tua Tagovailoa will start their week eight matchup they're off this week after the reshuffling of the schedule but uh it's time for the rook he got to play the last I think two and a half minutes of the game against the Jets and will now be the starter for the foreseeable future what do you think about this move because we we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick's not happy about it he's he's broken up I don't blame him for being upset it shows he's a legitimate competitor I am – this is what I think. I think the Dolphins 
after beating the 49ers and then, okay, killing the Jets, irrelevant to any conversation. We knew that would happen. But I think the Dolphins think they're going to sneak in that wild card. I think they think they're going to get the Patriots spot in theory. Now, Brian Fitzpatrick has been putting up excellent numbers, and I would be the first to say I did not think he'd be doing that. That's fine. My problem is, Tua, I, I, I know a good friend of mine is a Dolphins fan, and he loves Tua Tungvaloa. Tua was two for two, 19 yards, but he was playing the Jets in garbage time. My issue is I think he'll be electric. I think he's got the arm. He's got the intangibles that you need for a quarterback. But I really think the injuries are going to creep back up. And I honestly believe he'll go on a streak of like three, four games, and then he's going to get injured, and it's going to be some crippling injury, and it's just going to be pandemonium in Miami. Interesting. Yeah, that would it's be – pessimistic. That... I get that. but That's fair. That's fair. Um, well, I'll, I'll say this. I picked up Tua with a waiver claim in fantasy. Uh, so I'm hoping Smart. he can be my, my extra quarterback. That'd be nice. I think he shows a lot of promise, especially on a Dolphins team that's going to have a relatively easy schedule uh, for most of the second half of the year, having finished third in their division last year. Um, we'll we'll see how he does. Week, you know? so. Yeah, no, I mean, they uh, – you know, Fitzpatrick had some success. So if Tua can have some of the same success, you could start to legitimately say, okay, this is a team that could be competing for one of those extra wild card spots. And that, that'd be a fun time to see the Dolphins in the playoffs. <laughs> um, all right. So believe that's going to bring the news section to an end here. And we have another new segment to bring you here. So we are going to test each other's sports knowledge here a little bit. So we have come up with a question where we each have five questions, uh, one from each of the four major sports and then one from a random sport. We are going to uh, keep track of who answers correctly and see who has the most correct answers by the end of this. And we do have a tiebreaker if need be. So Alex, this was your idea. So would you like to ask first or answer first? I, I want the pressure on me. So I'm going to ask first. I want to answer last. All right. Hit me with it. Well, okay, Robbie, what category do you want first? Let's start out with what should be the easy one for me. Give me the NBA question. Okay, yeah, just for anyone listening, we picked five questions apiece. Four of them are about each of the major sports, so NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB. And then the fifth one is a random sport. So it could be – it's up in the air. It could be cricket. It could be rugby. It could be swimming like Robbie was trying to do earlier but was failing to come up with a good question. Couldn't quite. All right, Robbie. So I know we did multiple choice, but I'm going to give you an easy one in the NBA. It's a true-false question, so you got a 50-50 shot on the third. 50-50. True or false, how well do you know your 2004-2005 NBA players? True or false, Dikembe Mutombo was the second-highest-paid player in the 2004-2005 season. True or false? 2004-2005. I'm going to say True. You are correct. There it is. But I I bet you when you were thinking about that, which is why when we were talking about it earlier, my thought was you were just going to hate yourself if you didn't say true because it sounded – it sounds so unreasonable, but he was the second highest played player behind Shaq. Behind Shaq. Okay, yeah, the guys I was thinking was it's got to be either – if it's not Shaq or Garnett, who could it possibly be? And I couldn't think of a name besides maybe Tim Duncan. So, yeah, okay, cool. Garnett I got or that. Duncan were in the top five. Would like wow. to tell. Yeah. Wow. 
That's crazy. Kevin Garnett won an MVP like two years before that. Damn. Allen Houston was number three, I believe. Oh, wow. And right. Kevin was old. So that's a good start. All right. All right. So uh, to get back at you, what, what do you want me to just go with whatever you ask or, or uh, you have a preference on which sport you want to start with? Let's, let's go, let's go with NHL. Let's get it. Let's get my All struggle right. out of the way. I'm saving pro so, three for last one. Who is the highest pay, paid player currently in the NHL? A, Connor McDavid, B, Sidney Crosby, or C, John Travaris? Okay. I don't think it's Crosby. Crosby seems like too good of an answer. He's a star, and I get that. John, I think it's John Travaris because he got a massive trade from the Maple Leafs to the Islanders. They signed him to a – or wait, no, Islanders to the Maple Leafs, and they signed him to a big contract. I'm going with C. You are incorrect. No, it's Connor, Connor McDavid. McDavid. Connor McDavid. John Travaris, I believe, Duh. is the second highest paid no. player. <laughs> so you you were right in the sense of he got paid. He just didn't quite get paid the most. But uh, very good effort. It was not Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby is not in the top five. All right. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna say give me the MLB question. All right. Who has the most MLB MVPs of all time? Is it A? Barry Bonds, B, Willie Mays, or C, Albert Pujols? You said most MVPs? Yes, most. Willie Mays. Incorrect. Oof. It was Barry Bonds with seven. <laughs> I Mays figured it wasn't three. Pujols. Pujols got three. So. Three? Yeah. All right, that's a good question. All right, all right. Thank you. All right, which sport? Uh, let's, let's, let's go basketball. Basketball, cool. I'm, I'm excited about this one. Concerned, though. Uh, in the 2011 NBA Finals, which featured the Dallas Mavericks and the Miami Heat, who <laughs> was the starting point guard for the Miami Heat? Was it A, Mario Chalmers, B, Mike Bibby, or no. C, Eddie House? I hate this so much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, look. Every bone of my body wants to say Mario Chalmers, and that's what concerns me. Um, is Eddie has a point guard? That's a real question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I'm going to say Mike Bibby. You are correct. Yes! Mike Bibby was a mid-season acquisition for the Miami Heat, played every single playoff game, and every time I watched the game that year, I was like, wait, we have Mike Bibby? Honestly, all I know about that season was that one's when Stephen A went in his or there's the SNL skit about Stephen A being like, Mario Chalmers should be locked in a box. Edward Scissorhands looking guy. You shouldn't have touched the ball the last five minutes. Oh god, so funny. Uh, I will say all of those players were in fact on the roster, but you were right. house was a shooting guard. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. All right. Give me NFL. <laughs> Well, right. after trolling, after getting trolled by you, my question is: How old is Emmanuel Sanders? Is he what a fucker? Thirty-three years old. B. Thirty-four years old. Or C. Thirty-six <laughs> years old. Okay. Well, I know it's not thirty-six because I think he's thirty-six, and I know I'm wrong. Yep. So I'm gonna say thirty-three. Thirty-three is correct. I want to reiterate you. You literally mess it up every week, so I'm glad this is the first week where you did it. Congratulations. This shows growth. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Glad I got that one out of the way. That was horrifying. All right. <laughs> what would you like to be asked? 
Let's go football. Football, cool. Okay, so uh, two weeks ago, Chase Claypool scored four touchdowns against the Eagles. Okay. Who was the last player to score four touchdowns against the Philadelphia Eagles? Was it A, Ron Johnson, B, Jim Brown, or C, LaDainian Tomlinson? Oh. oh. That's probably the toughest question I have. That's a rough one. Um, Okay. LT seems like a reasonable pick to me, but four touchdowns is a lot. I don't think it's Jim Brown. I don't know who Ron Johnson is, which is what bothers me. Because <laughs> I don't think you made that up on the spot. I'm going with Ron Johnson. You're correct. In yes. 1972, Ron Johnson of the New York Giants scored four touchdowns against the Philadelphia Eagles. That is the last time that it happened until week five this year against the Steelers. I was like, who is Ron Johnson? Like, wait a minute. He never would have been able to come up with that on his own. Correct. Correct. All right. <laughs> All right. So hit me with the NHL question. All right. This is, there's, it's not true, false. This is not a multiple choice question. Robbie, I need the full name. So like town and name. What team is the newest NHL team? And I'll that would be the Las Vegas Golden Knights, right? incorrect oh my god you're right (laughs) the seattle kraken were recently added and if you shut up for 10 more seconds i would have said hint this team was added this year oh damn i feel oh yep nope see i'm impatient i'm impulsive i had to answer oh wow all right damn that's awesome though seattle kraken (laughs) Seattle Kraken. All right. Well, we're at the potpourri round, which is going to be a terrible no, no, no. time. You still got one MLB question here, man. Oh, I do. Oh, I can still take the lead. Let's go. So, who is the most recent player to steal home base in the regular season of the MLB? Uh, I was hoping for playoffs. I thought I'd Is that. it A, Jason Wirth, B, Kevin Kiermeyer, or C, Will Myers? Okay. So, Jason Worth, if you said playoffs, I think was the last person to do it because he did against the Dodgers, and I saw clips about it. Now, hmm. Will Myers, final answer. Will Myers is correct. In 2017, Will I'm Myers stole so home base. is the last time that happened in the regular season. So, I believe that puts you up three to two. Three to two. All right. So, we Just got our last, alive. last round here. You wanna, I'll, give it, I'll give you the option again. You want to go first or second? I'm going to go second because I want to see if you get it, it puts more suspense on me for the final True. round. All right. All right. With it. So the category is volleyball. Oh boy. That's a good one for you. What position did I play vo- in volleyball in college? <laughs> is it a middle hitter B outside hitter or C right side hitter? B outside hitter. Final answer. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Let's go. All right, this is for the win. All right. You have a chance to win the game and prove you have a slightly more expanded sports uh, knowledge than I do. I'm so concerned, though. Don't do it. Don't do it. Who, which WNBA player has oh, the no. record for points per game in a season? Is it A, Tamika Chatkins, B, Maya Moore, or C, Diana Taurasi? This puts me in such a bad spot, Robbie. I can't get this wrong. Okay. Robbie, I'm going on the assumption. Okay, Maya Moore and Diana Taurasi are very decorated players. Who is the first option? Tamika Catchings. 
Tamika Catching's final answer, because I don't think you know who that is. I do actually know who all three of these women are, and that is an incorrect answer. No! The was answer is Diana Taurasi. It was Diana, oh, really? She owns the first and second spot on that list. Maya Moore was third. Hmm. All right, I went with the... I tried to cheese like I did with the NFL, and it did not pay off. Almost. Almost. All, all right, right. so we were, we were at our tiebreaker question here. Yeah, so the tiebreaker question is, and this is like on Boy Scout Honor Code, it was in the 2016 Olympics. How many gold medals did the United States win? It's going to be closest. Don't have to price it, price is right it. So it can be, you can be over. It's okay. Whoever's closest. So I'll give each of us get 15 seconds to think about it. And we will write down our answer. So we're not cheating. Sure. Sure. All right. Gold medals or total medals? Gold medals. Gold medals. Aha. <laughs> in the Summer Olympics, so in Rio. I might be lowballing here, but we're gonna we're gonna figure this out together. We'll find out. All right, Ravi, what is your number? My number, if you can see it all, is eighty. Well, mine's sixty-nine. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> we'll now look it up. I the eighty concerns me because there's not much wiggle room. Let's take a look. United States gold medals, 2016. What does Google say? Oh, how bad did we do? We were both off. According to Wikipedia, which I deem as a trustworthy source, sure. the United States won 121 total medals. Hold on, I wasn't done. Of those. They won 38 bronze medals, 37 silver medals, and 46 gold medals. Wow. So 69 wins. I 69 does win. I just want to say, how many, how many gold medals did you say, or total medals did you say we won? 121. When I thought that was the answer, my or when I thought that was the question, my answer was 120. That's good. So I would have said over 100. Thank you. Yeah, so in our, our first little trivia quiz off, Alex is the winner. What was it, four to three? It was four to three off tiebreaker. All right. Solid, solid. Let us know if y'all like this segment. I enjoyed this segment. That was, that was kind of fun. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe we'll quiz each other on our random sports knowledge in the future. Uh, we'll brush up on the WNBA and volleyball as we go. Um, so now we're going to head on over and do the superlatives for this week. Uh, as always, we'll start with the MVP. Um, and the player I had this week was Derrick Henry, the running back of the Tennessee Titans, the monster of a man. Man had 22 rushes for 212 yards and two touchdowns. And as I mentioned, a 98-yard touchdown run in the overtime victory over the Houston Texans. Tennessee undefeated going into this week against the also undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. Derrick Henry looks by far the best running back in football this year. Shout out to that monster of a man. Well, going off of that, nice little voice crack there. Oh, yeah. I got to go with Tom Brady, and I hate to do it. Tammy Brady. Tommy boy got a very nice win against the team I had deemed the best team in the NFL. I still think the Packers are up there. But yeah. Tom was showing glimpses of Super Bowl winning caliber quarterback. He played lights out, and I got to give it to him. I think he deserved it. And he really shut everyone up. There we yeah, go. no, not a system QB, at least not yet. Shout out to those two NFL players. Great weeks on their part. Going to move on to the moment of the week. Alex, who did you have? 
Moment of the week, I got to give to Cody Bellinger. Mm. So I was watching game seven of the NLCS. It was two to three, and Kiki Hernandez hits a pinch hit home run. So awesome stuff. So it's 3-3. Three, three. Cody Bellinger has an eight pitch at bat, full count, and just hits a rocket to right field to put the Dodgers up and ultimately win them the National League. To me, that was awesome in the sense that, you know, having those long at-bats and getting a hit, especially a home run, is one of the best feelings in baseball. And to me, it felt well-deserved, and he really worked for it. And now they're in the World Series and they're up two games won. So best moment goes to Cody B. And also when it hit off the bat, it was a rocket. Like that thing just shot off. And Damn. it felt like one that would go outside of like Giant Stadium, like into the water type thing. But Hot you know, damn, yeah, there. that dude could just club them. Yeah. All right. Great moment there. My moment of the week uh, goes to, uh, pardon me if I mispronounce this, but Ansu Fati, a 17-year-old soccer player who plays for Barcelona, became the youngest goal scorer in team history. That, that dude is five years younger than me scoring professional soccer goals. That, like, good job, dude. Just that That's what I have to say. Like, I can't even fathom what you're doing. So just keep doing it. You have a very, very bright future ahead of you uh, in that field. Just all around fantastic. That's just, I think that's incredible when a kid that young can perform that well at that high of a level. So next superlative we have, we're going to go with the most disappointing player or team of the week. Alex, who was your most disappointing? Is that like, like that Drake song? Yeah. We're going back to back. Josh <laughs> Allen. Oof. Two-time winner. Josh, I thought you'd be better. I thought you'd be slinging balls against Patty Mahomes. No, you did not look great. The Bills did not look great. It was a disappointing Monday night game. So, Josh, I don't know. I'm I'm a little skeptical of the Bills. I still think they're going to win the division, but I want Josh Allen to do well, and he hasn't been putting up – he hasn't been just showing us his arm. And yeah, dude, that dude can sling it. I got to see him play Iowa once when he was at Wyoming, and we killed them. But that man could throw the ball 70 yards down the field. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. I will, so we'll, we'll see what he brings to the table in the future. You know, Bill's still in control of that division at the moment. So He's but yeah, now no, a great Josh. return of the King contender for the oh, yeah, coming no, weeks. We, we need that bounce back game, though, Josh. Yeah. Uh, my most disappointing of the week for two reasons is Danny Jones of the New York Giants. Number Danny. one. He came into this season as like, okay, this dude should have an improved year. Uh, you, you should put up some, some slightly better stats, get a little more comfortable in the offense. And the man is just the next Eli Manning. That's just what he is. Like, and I know Eli Manning had a pretty good career. He won two Super Bowls. But like, as an overall player, you don't want to aspire to be Eli Manning. And that's just what he is. Like, I don't know if that's who he wants to be, but like, he's just not playing. He's not doing anything exceptional. He's not ever the reason his team wins the game. But the other reason is that amazing trip he had on like the 30 yard line or whatever it was, because I was a sprinter in high school. That was something I was very good at is, is running in a straight line and not falling. Um, and to see from about the 50 yard line on the shock on his face that he knew he was going down at some point, he just couldn't keep his balance. And like, I've been in that moment running on a football field, uh, you know, losing your balance just because there's so much open space in front of you. You think you should be going faster and whatnot. But man, you're an NFL player. You went right up the middle and you would have given your team a massively. I think they still ended up scoring a touchdown. Yeah, but like, they did. It would have been such a huge turn of events and you just biffed it. Like, 
come on, man. You just a little disappointing there. No, nothing major. Not like I, I hate you type shit, but man, that was, that was disappointing. That would have been an awesome, especially back-to-back weeks. The Eagles haven't given that up or two out of three weeks, something like that. But to Danny, be fair, gotta finish those runs. He was running at 21.5 miles per hour, which is, I believe the fastest recorded speed of a quarterback in Beat a Lamar. Lot. Yeah. Even beating Lamar, all of that. So they can be hard sometimes, but yeah, it's, Pretty pathetic that he fell over his own legs. <laughs> Pretty funny though, if you've seen the uh, the memes of him getting RKO'd by a, a, a USC fighter. So no, Randy Orton, WWE, you fool. My bad, I apologize. Big big <laughs> oof. <laughs> All <laughs> right, so moving in. Who? Oh man, I can't do it quite as well as you. But who? Who's the bad boy uh, of this week? The uh, who's, who's been game. a bad boy? Golden Tate, former Eagle. He uh, had a nice touchdown pass catch against Cravon LeBlanc. And uh, after he scored, he started punching the Eagles logo, which is a big no-no, and we'll get you pelted with batteries at Link. Yes. So don't do that. That's a big bad boy. Golden Tate, you've been a bad boy. We it lost, is. so it kind of paid <laughs> off. Karma's, karma's fun. Uh, my bad boy this week, unfortunately, a little more serious again. This goes out to uh, Pat Chambers, the head coach of – former head coach of Penn State basketball, uh, resigned as he – it was reported that he made a remark about tying a noose around a player's neck. I'm not going to go into the full details of this. My only thoughts are this is unacceptable. There's no place in sports for this. There's no place in the world for this kind of behavior. I can't imagine that was the only analogy worth using. If I'm a recruit, I'm thinking about transferring right now, especially if I'm an inner city Philly kid. Uh, that's just my perspective. Pat Chambers, I hope you never get a job again. You've been a very bad boy. Um, and now on to a slightly more lighthearted note, we're going to go into the return of the King for this week. Uh, and my return of the King is Lamar Jackson. Um, I gave him a lot of crap. I like, love to give Ravens a lot of crap, but he, he had a slow start this year. It didn't quite look like Lamar. Um, and despite it being against the Eagles, he did finally have a bounce back game last week, uh, had a big touchdown run. I, I, he might've thrown one interception, but he didn't turn the ball over as quite as much as he had been looking better. Yeah, that big game with the Steelers coming up, you need to be looking sharp for, for that big division game, but uh, he's on the right track. So my return of the King this week goes out to the former MVP, Lamar Jackson. My return of the King is for Brian Fitzpatrick. I said the Dolphins wouldn't be good. I still hold true to that, but I thought Ryan Fitzpatrick would fade away in October, and he hasn't up until the Dolphins were like, yeah, we're benching you, and that's unfortunate. So, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you're one of the smartest humans ever since you went to Harvard. Lisa's played football. And you played incredible. I would also like to give a shout-out just to veteran quarterbacks. So, Josh McCown falls in this as a good example. But journeyman NFL quarterbacks, especially Ryan Fitzpatrick, who have done a lot. They may not have had winning seasons or massive playoff runs, but they've done a lot in terms of experience and leading younger guys into positions to succeed. Josh McCown been in the league since like 2003 and, you know, definitely seen a lot of quarterbacks. Ryan Fitzpatrick, journeyman as well. He's now put Tua in a position to do well. You know, you could make an argument, did the same for Jameis. And there's plenty of other quarterbacks you go into detail about. So Ryan Fitzpatrick, great job. I don't know if you'll start again. I hope you do. You're absolutely electric to watch. The beard's awesome, but I gave you some crap a few weeks ago. I think you have proved me wrong and props to you. 
Oh, yeah. Well, like we said, we'll see if he ends up getting back in the lineup. I like that shout out for journeyman quarterbacks, though. A little more spec needs to be put on some of their names. Uh, Final award for this week, we're going to do the heart award. Alex, who showed the most heart from you this past week? You're not going to like this. Oh, boy. I got to give it to the Houston Astros. Mm. Yeah, I know. I don't want to. But being down 3-0 and coming back to tie it to 3-3, I know they lost to the Rays and, you know, were eliminated. But between that, between the public scrutiny and between the struggles of players like Altuve in the regular season, I got to give them a credit because they were a seven seed and they made it to the ALCS and lost by a game after being down 3 In an expanded playoff. In an expanded playoff. So props to them. They deserve a lot more credit. I mean, cheaters, sure, but they played a lot of heart this year. And even without the cheats, they were one game away from making it back to the mm-hmm. uh, World Series again, which I know I know I wouldn't want to see, but they had a lot of heart, a lot of resilience. It's hard to be scrutinized like that and still do well. Yeah, no, I mean, they proved a lot of people, a lot of people wrong. They a have a games. lot of work to do to, you know, reconcile with the league and the fans, but they had a very successful season with – theoretically not stealing pitches so yeah i like that shout out um so my heart award for this week so it was an interesting article that i believe bleacher reported posted and a couple other uh, news sources so there's a, a former duke basketball player named trayvon duvall um and so if you know a lot about college basketball you know that a big thing is this one and done deal where you go to a college ideally a high profile college you play one year you do really well you get drafted uh trayvon duvall did that he was told he was going to be a number one overall pick and then turned out to become the first ever Duke one and done player to go undrafted. And the reason I'm giving him my heart award is because if you read that article, the man is fighting his ass off to get a chance in the NBA. He currently plays for the Iowa Wolves, which is the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves G League affiliate. Um, but he's, he's really fighting. I mean, he's a very solid, you know, intangibly skilled guard. He knows the game very well. It's, it's size and speed are the two biggest factors for him he's not the most athletic guard in a a league where athleticism is huge especially at the point guard position but I've heard this this man's name before you know he he was a sensational player at Duke I I would love if a team gave him a real shot because I just I don't know when when you go to Duke you're a one-and-done guy you were told you're gonna get drafted and then all of a sudden you're not drafted but you don't stop working you don't stop fighting for your shot he knows this is what he can and wants to do uh, so I, I, I really see the the heart and effort that he's putting out there. So my heart award this week, Trayvon Duvall, key fighting man. You'll get your shot eventually if you earn it. Yeah, and that relates a lot to the interview it did with uh, Ed Jennings two weeks ago. Keep fighting. You know, sometimes your time your time may or may not come, but power to you for really kicking it into high gear and grinding it out. I will say that it was good on the NCAA for allowing – they changed their agent rule. So what it used to be was when you were one and done and you'd usually get an agent before the NBA draft, you, or once you were one and done, you couldn't go back no matter what it was. Mm -hmm. But I know there's some rule now, maybe it's if you don't get an agent or if you get some like specialty agent, you can now like potentially go back if you don't get drafted, which would have helped, would have helped him in this case. So it's to set up the ability to test if you like test the pool, test the water a little bit, like see if you're going to get drafted, see where you rank among players. Luca Garza of Iowa did that this year. He declared for the draft, didn't hire an agent or had one of these specialty agents, whatever it was kind of realized he probably wasn't going to get drafted. If it wasn't like a late second round type deal came back to Iowa. 
Stuff like that's important. These young guys don't really know how to handle that next step right off the bat. So it's, it's good to give them a little bit of leeway. Unfortunately, it wasn't uh, an option for Trayvon at the time, but you know, they, they see this stuff and they, they work on it. They develop it. it. The most important thing is these guys having these young guys having success. Well, in his and case, at the more very values. least, he had the recipe for success per se. He went to a blue chip school like Duke. They had reasonable success. He was a key contributor there. You know, I don't know if he would have gone first round. I know they were talking about him being a potential lottery pick, or at least that's what he had thought. And he doesn't get drafted. But that's a recipe, at least a good setup for the NBA, and just didn't pan out. So props to him for not giving up and keep grinding. Amen. Grit, grind, termination. Just like that interview said, most important things when you're trying to force yourself to be better at anything in life, not just, not just sports. And on that note, we are going to bring this episode of Gym Class All-Stars to an end. Don't forget to subscribe to our Instagram and Twitter pages. Follow us. Uh, let us know what you think about the episodes. Vote on all the polls we'd like to put out. And yeah, hope you guys enjoy the content. And we will be back next week with brand new slate of uh, issues to talk about. Take care, guys, and if you can, go vote. Amen.